The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Buenos dias. Good morning. Our today's um, scripture reading is from Luke chapter 13, uh, verses uh, 1 to 9, and you can find it on page 872. It's Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9, page 872. And if you don't have a Bible, please take a Bible. It's in front of you and as a gift um, to you from us. There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate has, had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that, that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffer in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable, <clears throat> a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up to the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also, until I did around it and I put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Palabra de Dios, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So as I was preparing uh, this message, thinking about this text, I was reminded of a chamber of commerce meeting I went to for the city. So I go to the one of those every, I might never go again, but I went once. And uh, so we were standing in this little circle and everybody's telling everyone what they do for work. And so it's my turn and I get to say, I'm a pastor. And the wonderful thing about that sentence is you never really know what you may receive in return, you know. I'm a pastor. So in this case, immediately this woman says to me, are you one of those hellfire and damnation preachers? <laughs> You're not quite ready for that one, you know. You didn't have that one scripted out. And I remember instantly wanting to say, no, no, I'm not. But then you have to kind of think about it for a second. What do you mean? And, and wouldn't you agree that's the kind of question that leads to other questions? That's the kind of question that leads to other questions. So what questions come to your mind? I mean, a question that comes to my mind is, well, what are you supposed to do when you're preaching? What are you supposed to be doing? Um, there's assumptions for us, right? Why do we do this all the time? Why do we open this book every week? Why do we read it out loud and have you hear it? And then why do we spend time explaining it? Why? Well, we have this huge assumption, right? We believe the Bible is God's inspired word to humanity, right? That's what we believe. Um, and so what's my job as a preacher? Well, I could go on and on about, about that, but at least the basics would be my job is to understand the author's original intention to his original audience, right? And then try to communicate to, that to you in a way that's appropriate for today. 
It's at least that. There's, there's more, I'm sure. But, but my job is at least to find the intention of the author for his original audience, understand that, and then give that to whoever's listening in a way that's appropriate to today's life and context. But instantly we see that preaching is not about my brilliance or my thoughts or my energies. My goal is to give you someone else's thoughts in a way that's appropriate for today. Why is that important? Well, it's it's hugely important. The difference is, are we hearing God's word or not? That's the main difference. So that leads to other ideas, and I, because we're, we're back in Luke today, did you notice? How many of you were with us you know, when, we were in, when we started Luke? A year ago, okay? We started Luke a year ago, and then uh, we took January, or we, we took December and January to deal with some other things. So of course, do I think it's sometimes helpful to uh, teach a topical sermon, or like we talk about peace, Peace in Christ all through December. Is that helpful? Uh, Yeah, it's definitely helpful. Or we spent January and some of February in Psalms. Was it helpful to to look through some of those Psalms? I, I hope so. I want it to be helpful. But in general, when I say we're going back to Luke, what do we want to do in general? I want to preach through books of the Bible. And so as as we're going back to Luke and jumping in the middle of it, I just wanted to give you one more time a little nugget as to why we do that. Why do we do that? I, I had a long list, and then I was like, I'm not gonna share the whole list. I'm just gonna do one word, and I think it helps us be honest. That's why I do it. It helps me be honest. So the first reason it's, it's honest is because uh, it takes God's word a little more as he gave it to us. How many of you have read through Luke before? Okay, it's, it's kinda long. The way we have it marked up today is 24, right? Isn't that right? 24 chapters. And some of these chapters are in the 80s on the verses. It's long. What if I gave you, Luke, just every so often a little nugget and little phrase? What's weird about that? What might Luke say to us? Uh, That's not how I wrote it. I heard this one pastor give a great example once when we were teaching in India. And he was talking about context. And so he was, he was talking about how it's real easy for us to take like one phrase of the Bible and then build a tower on it. And so he brought up a real email from his wife and he read to them the phrase, I've been feeling sick. It was really in there. I've been feeling sick. And so he puts down the email and he says, you guys, I have to leave now. She may be dying. So I'm out of here, I'm done, goodbye. And they're, oh, okay. But he goes, you know what? Let me read the rest of it. I've been feeling sick, but it was just a cold, and today I'm much better. Oh, it means something entirely different now, doesn't it? Now that we've read it in context. When we look through Luke, like today, today, Luke 9, or Luke 13, it's all about repentance. It's a pretty intense message, as we're going to see. It hits pretty hard. But if I only gave you that without the context of Luke, it could, it could come way too hard, inappropriately hard. So to preach through a book, I'm not saying, uh, 
Everybody always has to do it all the time, but to preach through a book, it helps us be honest because we get to see over time, don't we, the context of how it fits in, of what Luke is saying. And so it gives us a better understanding of how the, the book and how the Bible is working. Another reason it's about honesty is preaching through a book keeps me from my own hobby horses or interests. It keeps me from my own hobby horses or interests. I think every... Uh, Every Christian, probably every pastor has themes, theologies, ideas they really are gung-ho about. And uh, if I was just picking my text kind of on my own every time, I would tend to pick, thing, pick things like that. And I would never give you the texts that maybe you should hear in other times or maybe that I need to work through at other times. I would pick things that were a little easier for me. And so preaching through a book helps me be honest with you about what the Bible says. I don't just to get to pick what I feel like saying. I have to really try to get into what Luke was saying and then give that to you, whether it's easy for me or not. So it helps me be honest from my perspective. It also, it also helps me be honest from your perspective. So imagine, uh, imagine you and I had a hard meeting this week and uh, for some reason, like I, I I came at you on something or, or something like that. And then you, and you know I pick my text like every Saturday night or something. And then I, then I drop on you today, repent or perish. <laughs> right? Repent or perish. Yeah, that's right. You, you know? That's horrible. But it would feel personal, wouldn't it? Especially in a small church. It would feel personal. And so all of a sudden it'd be, it could be like vendetta-ish almost on like what text I'm picking. Or the other way around, and this is probably more realistic, I'm afraid of what you think. I don't wanna hurt you. I don't wanna confront you. I don't wanna tell you something that you're, that's, gonna, that's gonna hit you in the ribs. I, I don't wanna talk about it. Preaching through the book. What text is up next? We're gonna talk about it. So whether it's hard issues in culture or hard issues in our lives, it helps us be honest. This is what the word says. I know I'm spending a, a, little, a long time on this issue. Back to that question. Am I a hellfire and damnation preacher? Huh. Well, if you mean by that self-righteous, you know, condemning, never talking about Christ and what he's done and God's grace for us and how we're saved through his work. If that's what you mean, then God forbid, I hope I am never that and never become that. But what if we were working through Luke, and this will happen if you work through Luke, Jesus starts talking about hellfire and damnation. What do you want me to say that, that week? Am I gonna talk about hellfire and damnation? You know what I'm saying? And so this morning, this is all a big background into this morning, Jesus is gonna hit repentance really hard. He's gonna hit repentance really hard. And so because we're working through Luke, I've got no vendetta against any of us personally, okay? I'm gonna go ahead and say it out there blatantly. I need to repent. Y'all need to repent. Uh, different various ways, okay, for sure. But here we are, it hangs over all of us. And now as we sit under the authority of our Lord, we wanna listen to him talk. 
and talk about repentance. That's what we're gonna do. So we're gonna do Luke chapter 13. That's where we are today. Uh, as you probably know, Luke is the longest and most detailed account of Jesus that we have. Luke has uh, researched this meticulously. Chapters one to nine, gen generally speaking, have been about who Jesus is. He's the promised son of God, the coming king who's going to save his people and renew the world, who he is. Chapters nine to 19 are this long account of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. It says in chapter nine, he set his face towards Jerusalem. And that's so shocking and amazing. Why? What's he gonna do in Jerusalem? He's gonna die on a cross. So nine to 19 is this road of the cross, Long chapter, or long section, and in this in this, on this road, the emphasis seems to be, this is what it means to follow him. This is what it really means to follow him. This is what it means to be a disciple. It's what it means to be a Christian. And so as we're gonna see today, one of the huge essential factors of anyone who would follow Jesus is what? Starts with an R and ends with repentance. okay? <laughs> Repentance, it's essential, repentance. What is repentance? I'm gonna try to sum it up like this. Repentance is a change of heart that shows itself in a changing lifestyle. Repentance is a change of heart that shows itself in a changing lifestyle. So in our text today, we're gonna do uh, four questions. Number one, why repent? Why? Number two, who should repent? Number three, when should those people repent? Number four, how do you repent? That's our four thoughts today. Number one, why repent? Number two, who should repent? Number three, when should they repent? Number four, how to repent? Why repent? Start in verse one of chapter 13. There was some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Just pause for a moment. Jesus has had this long conversation with these crowds. He's been talking to him a long time. And, it's, and so when Luke says, there was some present at that very time who told him, so Jesus is teaching and someone's like, hey, based on what you've said, what about this? That's what this person's doing. Based on what you just said, did you hear about the Galileans who died? How does that work with this? Do you see what's happening? And so we kind of have to look back a little bit into where we've been and see the context. What's going on? Why is this guy bringing this up for Jesus? Why does he want Jesus to talk about it? So look a little higher up in your Bibles. It'll be on the overheads as well. What did Jesus say just right at the end there of chapter 12? Chapter 12, 57 to 59. Here's what Jesus said. This is what he said to the crowds. Why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Heavy, heavy story, right? What's the situation? Um, you owe a lot of money. Uh, you cannot pay it. You are on the way to the courtroom and the judge, and you're walking with your accuser, and so uh, it's, it's an illustration from the, the world of that time. There was a thing called a debtor's prison. If you got in so much debt and you couldn't pay it um, and you weren't, paying, you weren't steadily paying it back enough or on time or at the right, at the right speed, then, then you would go to the judge. And if he says guilty and throws you in jail, you are now in the debtor's prison and you're in a world of trouble. 
Why? Why is it hard to get out of the debtor's prison? Because you can't work to make any money to pay off your debt. You're in jail forever. You won't get out until you've paid the last penny. And so the advice that'd be common in that day is, look, don't get to the courtroom. Don't get there. Work with the accuser before you get there. Figure it out. Come up with a solution to where he goes, okay, that'll work. Let's not go to court. Because you don't want to get to that day of judgment with that debt on your head. Don't do it. You'll never get out. What is Jesus talking about? It's, a, it's an illustration of a spiritual reality, isn't it? He says, don't you judge for yourselves what is right. I think the human heart knows, Jesus says this, the Bible says this, the human heart knows that on its own it is not right with God. You're not right with God. You haven't loved him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You haven't loved your neighbor as yourself. There's evil things you've done and kept on doing. There are good things you've refused to do. According to God's law, you owe a humongous debt. And Jesus says, don't get to the courtroom. Don't get to judgment day without that thing being taken care of. Don't go there. You'll never get out. Or he'll use the word later. You'll perish. This is God's judgment on unrepentant, sinful people. So Jesus says, get right with God first. Make an effort, he says, with the accuser. Fix it before you get there. Why should we repent? It's real clear. What's the main reason people ought to repent? You're gonna stand before God who is a holy judge and you're gonna wanna take care of that before you get there. Can I get an amen or something? Yeah, you don't wanna get there. I mean, look at this. He says, you'll pay every penny. He's thinking about the holiness of his father. You know, I, have, you, have you imagined in kind of your, your mind's eye what it would be like to stand before a holy God where he knows every thought, motive, word, and deed you've said, and you were there on your own, alone? It is, it is so over for me. If, if the only category he picked was good things you refused to do, let's just pretend all the bad things you did weren't there. Let's just go with good things you refused to do. It is over for me. Or maybe, maybe he just picked the category, all we're gonna go with is what you've said. We won't go with anything you've done or what you didn't do. All we're gonna go with is what you've said about me and about others. I am done. It is over. What if he just went with, all we're gonna do is your heart's attitude towards me. I'm not even gonna go with bad things you said, good things you didn't do, bad things you did. We're, we're gonna forget all of that. All I'm gonna go with is your heart's attitude for me. I am done. I mean, I'm so done. Do not get before the judgment of God without making an arrangement. You need to repent. You need to get right with God. That's the first reason why I repent, because we're gonna stand before God and we wanna be right with him before that occurs. Don't get to the judgment seat of God without making things right. Who should repent? Okay, now we're ready to understand why these guys raise their hand and are like, hey, what about that? So Jesus has said, y'all need to repent. And here's the beautiful thing about the human heart. When he says to us, y'all need to repent, who do we start thinking about? Other people. Jesus says, y'all need to repent, and we're all like, amen, they do need to repent. <laughs> That's right. Say it again, Lord Jesus. 
okay? So these guys bring up Galileans whose blood Pilate has mingled. You've heard of Pilate, right? Jesus is gonna be crucified under this man's leadership. Um, Everything we know extra biblically about Pilate, he was a tyrant, he was wicked, he was violent. There were uprisings against Pilate, and so the idea is some guys went to worship, Pilate was there somehow with soldiers, and he sliced and diced them up. Horrible thing, horrible thing. Why do these guys bring up that story when Jesus says, y'all need to repent? Well, there's this view in the ancient times, and it's, it's pretty much here today as well, There's a common idea that your circumstance represent your righteousness. There's a common idea that your circumstances represent your righteousness. So if those Galileans, and some commentators say people just kind of look down on Galileans in general, if those Galileans experience something like that, it must be because they really needed to repent. They deserved it, okay? You see this even in Jesus' disciples, don't you? Remember John chapter 9? They see a guy, a man born blind. You remember their question to Jesus? John 9, 2. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see this underlying theology they have? If you're blind or if hard things happen to you or if injustice happened to you or if a tragedy happened to you, it's because you're a sinner and you deserve it. Why is the man born blind? Was it his fault or his parents? Of course, Jesus is like, uh, no, no. <laughs> No, that's not it. So these guys seem to be saying, yeah, people need to repent. Is that why the Galileans suffered like they did? Because they really need to repent? Look at what Jesus says, verse two. He answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? There it is, right? These guys really suffered this horrible thing. And, the, and so the audience is like, well, it's because they're worse. And Jesus says, you think it's because they're worse? And then what's the first word of verse three? No. So just let it land right there. Do your circumstances necessarily represent your righteousness? In other words, if you're going through hard times, does that mean God is mad at you and he thinks you're a sinner? And therefore, if you're going through good times, that means God is cool with your lifestyle, no worries. Is that true? Is that an accurate way to represent what God thinks of people and how righteous people are? And the answer so strongly twice in this passage is no. There are wonderful, godly people suffering horrid, horrid things, and God loves them. And there are terrible, horrid, wicked, rebellious people with the easiest lives right now, and they better repent, because it's coming. Jesus says, no. And then look at his summary, verse three. No, I tell you, but unless who? You repent. You will, what's the next word? All likewise perish. Who needs to repent? Those really bad Galileans? And Jesus says, you all need to repent. Isn't the lesson, Jesus, when those guys suffered, they really need to repent? And Jesus' lesson is, no. The lesson is, because those guys suffered, you all need to repent. Everybody. Wow. So when Jesus says you need to repent, we tend to think of people out there, and who does Jesus want you to think about? The person in here. In here. It can feel so good to think about the other people's need for repentance. I'm not saying it's not true, but it's real easy to miss out on one really important person, the only person you're actually really responsible for, you, me. I need to repent. 
And you know, if his audience didn't hear it, Jesus repeats the lesson, look at verse four. So this time, instead of an injustice, it's more of kind of those tragedies that just seem like an accident. Verse four, or those 18 people on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? So again, maybe if there was this idea that Galileans were really bad and Jesus says, well, let's take it to Jerusalem now. Who lives in Jerusalem? Super good people, right? The super duper good people, the religious people. Are these worse, the people in that tower, horribly it fell, horribly they died. Are these worse than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? And what does Jesus say, first word of verse five? No. I tell you, unless who? You repent, you will all likewise perish. Have you heard like Christian thinkers give their diagnosis as to why certain horrible tragedies happen out in the world? And they'll bring up, well, it was the sin of this group of people or it was that nation over there. It was, you know, it was all this over here. That's why it happened. It, they'll, they'll give you all these reasons why those people over there need to repent. And here Jesus speaks to this issue so clearly, so powerfully, when we see a tragedy or injustice happen, the lesson was not that that group of people need to repent. The lesson is what? I need to repent. We need to repent. Do, do you see an echo of this? You know, Jesus seems to be saying, it could have been you in the tower. It wasn't like they were in the tower because they're really bad. It could have been you in the tower. And then you realize kind of the, the echo of this idea is that, do you realize how merciful it is that so far you haven't been in that car wreck that ends it all? So far you haven't been in the, uh, the tower that falls. You're still here. And it's not because you're better than all those people that didn't make it. It's because God is merciful. He's just been really kind to get us here. Kind of just helps us like, you know, you got out of the car, you made it to church, like praise the Lord, he's merciful to me, you know? He got me here, he kept me, kept me up. So all that's to say, why repent? You wanna be right with God before judgment day? Who should repent? Not them, me. That's what we all need to say, I do. Number three, when should we repent? Now Jesus tells a parable in verse six. He tells this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Somewhat interesting that the fig tree's in the vineyard. The idea there is the vineyard, that's gonna be really cultivated, irrigated, healthy soil. So if a tree was ever gonna do well, it would be here. That's the idea. There's a fig tree planted in a vineyard. And the guy comes seeking fruit on it, and he doesn't found any. And, and you know by verse seven, it's been there for three years. So, hey, what do you want from your fruit tree that you've been cultivating? Fruit. You would like some fruit. And he looks uh, at the tree. Look what he says in verse seven. For three years I've come seeing fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. And then what's the next line? I just want you to see I didn't say it, okay? The Lord Jesus said it. I didn't find any fruit. What should we do? Cut it 
down. I'm done. There's no fruit. Why should it use up the ground? You know, Jesus isn't really talking about like horticulture, right? What's he talking about? How are we supposed to understand the tree and the fruit? Well, I think there's, there's two levels here. One is Israel as a whole. They're the tree. And it's, it's curious, isn't it, that Jesus in this parable, he says, hey, this is, this is uh, we've had the tree for how many years? Three. About how long was Jesus' ministry? Three. And it's about at the end. I know we're only in chapter 13, but the, uh, the book is back-weighted, okay? So I've been here about three years you're, you're like a fig tree in a vineyard. You've been cultivated. In other words, you've seen my life. You've seen my miracles. You've heard my teaching. Hey, Israel, I ought to be seeing some what? Fruit. Okay, now unpack fruit. What does that mean? Fruit is the evidence of repentance. Repentance is a change of heart that shows itself in a changing lifestyle. Repentance is a change of heart that shows itself in a changing lifestyle. And so Jesus is saying, if you've repented, I should see some fruit, and I've come to my tree, Israel, I don't see it. You're not believing me. But of course you can't have a nation without individuals. Is it true for individuals? Hey, people, have you been cultivated? Backhanded compliment has the manure been spread around your tree. <laughs> Again, it's in the story. I didn't make it up, okay? It's fertilization, right? Have you been fertilized with the knowledge of God and his word? Have you encountered the news of who Jesus is and what the text say, says? Then what should the response be to that? Repentance, a change of heart, which shows itself in what? a changing lifestyle. Where's the fruit? That's what he wants to see. Where's the, the turning and the submission and the obedience? I'm, I, I said repentance shows itself in a changing lifestyle. I didn't say changed lifestyle because there's nobody who repents just one and goes, hey, <laughs> I'm perfect, okay? Nobody. Nobody. So repentance, you know, with a capital R, if you're not a believer, repentance means to turn, right? I'm going the wrong way. You turn. I'm driving towards Jesus now. But then even when you're driving towards Jesus, have you ever noticed when you're on a highway, even if it's a straight line, you can't just like hold the steering wheel totally still? What'll happen? You'll go off the road. What do you always have to be do, doing to go straight? Okay? Adjust. Every one of those is a repentance. The Christian life is repentance. I'm turning to you again. I'm trusting you again. Send me your way again. When you come to church to worship, it's a repentance. It's a, I, I need to turn towards Christ again. I need to hear it again. I need to hear the story again. I need to realign my heart again. It is repentance. He's looking for repentance. And if there's no fruit, what does Jesus say? Cut it down. What does that mean? We're done. So if you wanted to follow this theme in the scriptures, sometimes God says we're done. Before you die and before he comes back, he's just done pleading with your heart. It happens, hearts get hard. 
he lets them go. All right, I'm, I'm done. And you just won't care anymore and you'll never consider it again. And then of course, there's the cut it down when you, when you hit your last breath and your, time, your chance for repentance is over. And now you're gonna hit the judgment seat of God. Oh, I hope, I hope you're in Christ. Or there's the ultimate, when Jesus comes back, maybe we'll see that. And it's over and, and everything, the eternity has come. Ultimately, this parable is about timing. This little tree, right? It's been there for three years. No fruit. You get this little voice in verse seven. This guy says to the, uh, sorry, verse eight. This guy says, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, great. If not, you can cut it down. How much time does this tree have? One year. Now we would really get this wrong if I said to all of you, y'all have one year. Okay, it's not what this is about. It's not what this is about. But it is about how much time do you have to repent? Does it last forever? No. I don't know how long it is. I have no idea. But it's a limited time. And so Jesus is saying, his one major point with this parable is, when's the right time to repent? Now. (laughs) Now is a great time. Now is the best time. Let's go now. Past is over, can't do anything about it. You don't know how much future you have. Let's go now. The time to repent is now, is now. You just don't know how much time you have. Hey, Christian, if you're a Christian, how many times could God have cut you down? I just think of God's patience with me. How many times would he have been justified to be like, no fruit, I'm done? Are you so just like, oh, thank you for mercy? The danger, the danger with God's mercy is we think he doesn't care and he's not just. Right? The tower falls and those guys are like, hey, those guys need to repent, but I'm good. How do you know you're good? Well, I sinned and it's not like my house caught on fire right afterwards. You know, how different would life be if we were like dogs with one of those electric collars on it? And every time you sinned, God like hit the button, <laughs> you know? I think I'm gonna go lust, ah, you know, okay. But it's not like that. God is so patient and so merciful, you could go and sin and practice sin and you know, we'll even say the line like, you know, somebody says something and you're like, well, I'm scooting over in case the lightning falls. Have you ever said that, heard somebody make that joke? And something horrible happens. A premeditated, terrible sin that takes 10,000 steps happens. And we keep thinking, hey, if, you know, if he's just, when, when's the lightning gonna fall? And, and it doesn't fall. And then you might think, you know what? He's, he's not that bothered by it. It wasn't that big of a deal. What is Jesus saying here? Don't confuse the kindness and mercy of God for a lack of holy justice. Paul says this in Romans 2.4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. Why repent? You're going to stand before God the judge. Who should repent? Me. 
When should we repent? Now. How do you repent? Well, this book ends with the key to repentance. You know, if you just, if we finish our conversation here at verse nine, it's kind of hopeless. Eh, we'll see if they repent. Cut it down. It doesn't resolve. You're gonna watch over the next chapters. Israel's gonna do the last thing. They're, they're not gonna repent, generally speaking. And so you just wonder, what, what do we do now? Am I supposed to end this by just yelling at you, repent? Well, I just told you I need to repent too. How do we repent? How do we move forward in this? I wanna take you to the end of the book. Thank God Luke wrote a whole book. Look at chapter 24, verse 45 and following. Luke 24, 45 and following. Jesus will continue this walk all the way to Jerusalem. And the crowd will turn on him and they will shout, crucify him. And he will die on a cross. But then, just as he said, to everyone's surprise, what will he do on the third day? He will rise from the dead. And it's in that moment when the resurrected Jesus comes to speak to his apostles, this is what happens, Luke 24, 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. What's a key that now lets you open to understand the scriptures? Jesus has died and has come back to life. Verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should what? Suffer, and on the third day, what? Rise from the dead, and that what? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. What is the key to repentance? It's Jesus on a cross. It's Jesus on a cross. It's Jesus dying and rising again. When we listen to Luke 13, it's heavy, right? Repent, repent repent or get cut down. And you think, boy, who is this condemner who stands above me? I can't look, I can't stand, he's gonna, he's gonna ruin me. And then you realize this is not some uninterested tyrant yelling at you. The reason he's on the road to Jerusalem is that he's going to be condemned for you. He is the magistrate you can deal with, remember? He's the accuser you can make a deal with. And here's the deal. He says to you, if you follow me, I'll go to the debtor's prison and I'll pay it. He's the tree who gets chopped down for you so that you can thrive and grow. He's the one whose blood wasn't just mingled with the sacrifices. His blood was the sacrifice for our lack of repentance. He's the one who the tower of the wrath of God fell on him. He wraps this whole thing up. When you see his grace on the cross, when God opens your eyes to see it, 
to see that um, though you haven't repented like you should, or maybe some of us have never repented at all, you see Jesus Christ dying for people like that. Moreover, with the eyes of faith, dying for me. Dying for you. What love. When you see his cross and his resurrection, repentance isn't just something you must do. It is something you must do. But when you see Jesus, how many of you can agree with this? Repenting is something you love to do. I love to repent. Not always at the first time, okay? Not always, especially when somebody tells me I need to. I struggle with that a little bit. But in the end, when I can see it, I love to repent. Because you know what repentance does? It brings me right back into the embrace of my Savior. Jesus, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see it in Luke 15. He's going to tell the story about the prodigal son. It's a parable of repentance. Now, ultimately, Jesus is talking to the older brothers, but you, you can't help but see, right, the, the prodigal who ran away, who rebelled, who hated his father, said, I wish you were dead. Give me all your stuff. I want to live for myself. There's a beautiful verse when it says, and he came to his senses. It's the change of heart. I want to go home. And it led to a changing lifestyle. He went home. And all he could say, he had a planned speech, right? Just take me back as a slave. Take me back as a slave. But the father, he won't have any of that. What does he say to his repentant dumpster fire of a little boy? Gotta read it, Luke 15, 22. The father interrupts his speech about, hey, just let me be a slave. Oh, no. The father said to his servants, being quickly, the what? The best robe, and put it on him. You realize like 24 hours earlier, he was trying to eat pig pods? And what's he wearing right now? The best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. What's the ring say? Full on, fully welcomed, fully loved son. Inheritor. Shoes on his feet. Verse 23, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they begin to celebrate. Repentance always brings a party. It always brings a party. Because when you repent to the Lord, our God has never turned away real repentance. Never. He will never turn away a real repentance. And when that repentance happens, he runs. The angels sing. He celebrates. He receives. And it's all through what Jesus has done on the cross. How do we repent? We look at the love of God for us in Jesus Christ, in his cross and resurrection. Repentance is coming home. It's coming home to our Father. That's what it is. So what do we do with this passage? Well, there's, obviously we're supposed to repent, change of heart that leads to a changing lifestyle. I think there's two kinds of repentance to pay attention here. One is, Repentance with a capital R. If you're not a Christian and you've never repented in that whole lifestyle sense of, I'm giving you my life, Lord Jesus. 
I'm turning myself to you. That's ultimately what Jesus is talking about here. I'm turning to you, Jesus. I trust you and your life, your death, your resurrection. Save me, bring me to the Father. My life is yours. If you've never done that, repent. Turn to him. Be brought near by the Father. Be adopted as his child. He'll receive you even today as you are. Repent. Second, small r repentance, probably just as important. You already are a Christian, okay? That's good, I'm not telling you you need to become a Christian again. Praise the Lord, you get to stay a Christian. But what do you keep redoing? What do you, what do you keep doing? You keep repenting. How many of you, you no longer need repentance? You finished, okay? <laughs> um, ask a family member how real that is. Look what Paul will say in Luke part two, the book of Acts. This is part of Paul's message, Acts 26, 20. Paul's preaching that they should repent and turn to God, and then what's the second part? Performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. So it's an easy thing, isn't it, to have a public capital R repentance, hey, I'm a Christian now, but then quit repenting? And so there is a warning here, right? It's a dangerous place to be a Christian who is practicing sin. You know it's against the Lord and you keep moving forward and you keep moving in it. You know, it's like the tree with leaves and the, and, and the man comes and says, where's the what? Where's the fruit? Where is it? And so we wanna ask ourselves, Lord, where are you calling me to repent? And I'll just let, I'll just let you ask the Holy Spirit to show you that. Um, what's something you're doing or practicing where you need to offer that to the Lord and say no more, you need to apply the gospel, you need to come home and be set free. Or where's something he's calling you to do and you're kind of just saying no. What is it? Go to the cross again. Remember his love for you. Remember what he's done for you. Let's go home together. Let's be a church that what? Repents. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son and what a great and wonderful savior he is. We thank you so much for your mercy, for your patience with us, for your kindness to us, and for this invitation to us and to the whole world to repent, and then when we repent, you receive us, and you don't just go, well, I guess okay, but you adopt us. You bring us all the way in. Lord, give us the joy of repentance today, the joy of coming home to you, of offering our whole selves to you all the time, Lord, we need you. We need your grace. We, we're, we're so thankful for your love and your faithfulness to us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.